Blog Talk Radio. I still can. I'll try to help my loved ones understand how memories can fly like grains of sand, and that I'll remember them while I still can. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks uh, website. We have a blog. We do our Dementia Chats webinars, which we'll be holding a little later today, the radio show, and a resource directory. Our belief is we want to be here for you, help you through this journey. Um, I was on this journey personally myself with my own mother for 30 years, so I get it. I understand it. And one of the things that I felt um, very strongly was that we were missing having a conversation about how we care for those with dementia and how we care for those who are caring for those with dementia as well. So Alzheimer's Speaks was developed to be an advocacy company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. And we truly believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having these everyday conversations about dementia, an illness that we can remove the stigmas attached to memory loss and help those living with the disease live with purpose. Together, we're going to be able to understand the true needs, um, and we can't do that without an honest conversation. And that's the only way we're going to break down those myths and stigmas that create such fear and such isolation for so many that don't deserve that type of life. Um, at our core, we know collaboration is the key. And so I want to thank you all for your likes and your shares and your comments um, and your tweets. It really has made a huge difference. And I, and I know it's working because Dr. Oz and ShareCare named us as the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's. And that's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. And again, we didn't do that alone. That is because you also see and feel the need. And we never know who in our circle is dealing with this because we just don't talk about it. Um, but the more information we can push out to others, the more likely they're going to feel comfortable talking about it when the time is right. So again, I I thank you all for helping us raise awareness and getting people to, to have these conversations because they are critical. Today on Alzheimer's Speaks, um, we're not having any formal um, guests per se. Um, this is going to be an open mic day, and I thought since with Mother's Day, it might be a nice time to um, honor our mothers and um, those that care for them as well um, on this show. So we'd love to have you have you call in. And the number to do that is 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-474. Uh, let's see, what is it? 4754. So I'm going to do that one more time because I think I'm getting a little dyslexic today. <laughs> 714-364-4754 is the correct number. Um, 
And again, when we do this open mic, uh, you know, it's just, it's very loose conversation. That's pretty much how we always are here. Uh, it's really about trying to meet the need and, um, and just, you know, talk like we do amongst friends. Uh, that's the whole point. I, I do also want to um, mention before I start pulling in callers and start our formal chat down this road for open mic, I do want to make an announcement that um, the Alzheimer's Preve uh, Research and Prevention Foundation is having a contest going on right now. And um, since May is the month that we celebrate our mothers, um, they wanted to um, have a contest for people to go ahead and um, submit their favorite story and picture of their mom. And then Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation is asking that um, you just, you know, share your favorite mom moment in memory as a way to honor um, her love and support um, for you throughout the years. And they want to make sure that you include a photo with your story if you can. And... Um, Remember, the more information you include, the more likely you are to win. You can submit your entry to contest at alzheimersprevention.org by Wednesday the 14th, so that's tomorrow. So that's contest at alzheimersprevention.org, and I will put that in the chat box as well. And when you submit your entry, um, send your mailing address so that you can claim your prize. Everyone who submits an entry will receive um, a surprise gift, and then the contest winner will also receive a special packet of custom-made, gorgeous Asian floral blank greeting cards. So that's that's something kind of nice. Um, if you have not visited their website, I would um, urge you to do so. They have lots of great information there, and you can just go to alzheimersprevention.org um, to get to their to get to their site um, as a whole. So, yeah, just a nice way to be able to to honor moms. You know, none of us would be here without them. So, uh, it's a it's a great way to show your love and. Um, and show how much you care for them. I also wanted to um, just do a shout-out to a company I just really learned about yesterday. I went up to Wyoming, Minnesota, where I live, and um, through LinkedIn, um, a, a man uh, had contacted me by the name of Guy, and he works for a company called Motion Wellness Systems. And it's really a pretty cool company. They do um, they have great exercises for rehab, but also for playgrounds for um, both children and adults. And for the adults, it's really quite fascinating the way they've set these up just to help us build our strength. They can really help with fall prevention. Extremely economical. These should really be in every um, large community um, and hospital setting. It would be fun to see these even in um, our park systems as well as um, in the hotels, you know, that have the water parks for the kids and things. Um, why not have something for adults to be able to be a little bit more playful. Um, they could be intergenerational very easily and well-designed and, and just kind of fun. So, again, that is called Motion Wellness Systems. And um, if you want more information, you can just uh, contact me You know, on that. I would be, would be glad to talk to you um, about that. So, 
we'll go ahead and just kind of get started um, with our show today. And um, I see we've got one caller on the line. I believe it is our good friend, Harry Urban. So let me just go ahead and pull Harry in here. Harry, is that you? It sure is. Can you hear me okay? I sure can. Well, thanks so much for calling in. Today we're just going to kind of go with the flow um, and kind of have a general conversation. Um, I think Mother's Day is a really important time, you know, of just celebration and, and, um, you know, family love and and support. And so I thought it would be nice to be able to give people some time to be able to chat about that. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar, Harry um, has a a group on Facebook called Forget Me Not. And it is a place where people are able to really discuss and um, talk about um, different things regarding um, dementia and caregiving, you know, living with purpose. And my guess is, Harry, and, and you tell me if I'm right or not, my guess is is that there's there was probably a lot of conversation on your page regarding mothers and that may have had dementia or mothers that have passed, um, mothers that may even be caring for children with dementia. Um, did you have a lot of conversation regarding Mother's Day this year? Yeah, we did. Uh, we did, Lori. And um, it, it, it's amazing, you know, it, it's, a, it's a common topic because everybody has a mother. But if your mother's living with dementia, um, it, it's really a uh, a different situation because a lot of people don't know how to how to enjoy the day, spending the day with your mother that has dementia, and um, we we try to give the message that just be yourself, be normal. Um, you know, it it's you don't have to go through any any special things to enjoy your mother on on this special day. But um, by all means, I think everybody should should honor their mother in some way, and and just spending uh, just spending an hour two hours with her is, is is probably one of the best presents that you can give anybody. I agree. I agree. And you know, it it can be um, it can be challenging for a lot of families in terms of how do you how do you relate with somebody with dementia. I don't know. My mom taught me so much during her dementia. Um, I can't even thank her enough for the lessons that she taught me um, and how to communicate with people differently um, than than I normally expected to. And so I think it really is about, you know, with dementia, uh, slowing down and simplifying and really appreciating more of what you have than what you don't have. And I think in society today, we focus so much on what we don't have or what's not good enough instead of having um, living a life of gratitude. And, and when you switch that corner, it's amazing what happens um, to your life. Um, have you found that, Harry? Oh, yeah. Now, my... my uh... My mother passed some years ago, and my disease is robbing me of, of a lot of those memories I've had, which is unfortunate, but it, it's it's part of the disease. But that's why it's so important to um, spend time with your family, uh-huh. and and don't don't let those memories slide by, and 
make sure that, that your mother still remembers those good times, too. That, that's so important. I very much agree with that. I, You know, I kind of struggled this the last couple of weeks anticipating Mother's Day since my mom, you know, just recently passed. And, um, you know, for two weeks on and off, I... I was very sentimental and and melancholy, and you know would break down and cry every now and then, and and I was um th- I just kept thinking you know I have to write something for the blog. I just wouldn't be right if I didn't write something for the blog, and um and so I was adding that extra pressure, <laughs> you know, to myself, which was kind of silly, but I did, and um. The night before, I you know I started writing and then I got exhausted and and then um, the next morning I woke up and it was really clear what I wanted to write and I should know better not to force things that they always come in time and you know that I had to kind of pace myself um, you know when we when we lose somebody dear to us it's always a a huge huge shift in um, in our lives and you know it's okay to cry it's okay to grieve um you know that's all part of the process but again i think it's really important to be grateful and sometimes um we forget how important that is and and how much that gives us balance when we can be grateful no matter what no matter what the situation is it could always be worse you know and when you and when you mm-hmm. we got into a into a great conversation uh, this past week, and and the topic was what happens if your mother doesn't recognize you. Mm-hmm. You know, now um, we we often talk about the loss of um, of her of her parents when they pass on and things like that. But how about the patient, the loss they have when they don't remember you, the the child? Mm-hmm. I mean that that that's one of the biggest losses that we can have. And it, it's really horrible because it, it doesn't affect us. It doesn't affect us emotionally because we just don't remember you. We can't remember you. But for the but for the the, the child, the daughter, the son, or whatever, it's devastating to them. Especially if you go to a special uh, holiday, uh, uh, a Mother's Day uh, picnic or celebration or something like that, and then all of a sudden your mother doesn't recognize you. I mean, you mm-hmm. have to be prepared for that type of thing. You, you do. And I think, um, you know, for me, how I always framed it was that we're we're bigger than a name. You know, when I was a baby, I didn't know her name either. Um, and she knew mine, but she still loved me, even though I didn't know her name. You know, um, we still had a connection. And so I had to really, for myself, reframe that we're bigger than a name and why do we put so much importance on a name when it really doesn't make any difference i mean we we our connections are so much deeper than that and you know we don't we don't feel bad um and hold it against somebody you know if they've if they've had a stroke and they can't speak. But with dementia, we seem to frame it differently because um, we don't understand it and because they look okay, you know, many times. Um, and and it's, it's very difficult. They look like the same person, but things have changed. And 
again, I think if you can let go that even if you don't call each other by name, you know, your your essence, your spirits still know one another. And that might kind of sound kind of, you know, voodoo-y to some people. But I, I truly believe that. I mean, how many times do you just feel a presence of somebody walking into a room? And you know if it's if it's a, a good presence or a bad presence. <laughs> you know, you know if you're on edge or and uncomfortable or you know if you feel at ease and and i think that that you know we have that with one another and there's so many ways we can communicate non-verbally um you know the smile to me is more powerful than hearing my name you know once once somebody can't say your name or doesn't know um but to see them comfortable and happy in my presence that fills my soul. That tells me there's some kind of connection there, and it doesn't make any difference if they know my name or not. Um, and I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, it, may, it makes perfect sense to me. It, it's amazing how how much your mother has taught you in your life. Um, oh. When I know when, when I was growing up, my my parents weren't the brightest people in the world. And uh, I mean that—that's the—that's a philosophy I had, you know, all through high school. But as you go older, you're reminded of all the lessons they taught you about life. Uh, I don't know how many times that that we say, "Boy, if my mother could see me do this now, she'd really be disappointed." I mean, mm-hmm. those lessons in life—how did how did she get that smart? When when we grew up, that that we thought that 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 they didn't know anything. Oh, I know. I, you know, this. I, I ended up writing this um, post on my blog for Mother's Day, and I, I entitled it "Feeling Lost" because I really do. It's just like it's a new world without her physically here. Um, and what I ended up doing was um, really listing a lot of the lessons that my mom had taught us um, or taught me anyways in kind of her life philosophy. And I, I'll share I'll share some of this with you um, because I, I think it was really important and I didn't, I mean, I knew it was important for me, but I was shocked. I mean, I was literally shocked at the responses I got from people all over the world. But the one that touched my heart the most was my little brother. And I'm going to cry when I say this now. But he he wrote me, was it yesterday, and said, I read the post that you wrote. And he said, I'm bawling at work. He said, how did you sum mom up so well with all she taught us? He said, you know, I'm just so grateful for all the lessons she taught us. And they're so easy to forget sometimes. You know, what? What? who gave us our values? Who instilled those? You know, it's typically our parents, not for everybody. Everyone's not as lucky to have, you know, I, I had exceptional, exceptional parents. Um, and I know not everyone's that lucky. But all of us, you know, our value systems are created by, you know, people who may or may not be our physical mothers, but they took on that role to guide us and help us develop our values. 
and um and i i think we need i think you're right we need to we need to honor that we need to we need to figure out how did they get that spark because I remember, you know, when you're a teenager and a young adult, I mean, the last person you're going to take advice from or that you want to hear their opinion <laughs> is your parents because you have life figured out at the age of 17. You know, there's no there's no qualms about it. And then as you get older, you realize, oh, I guess I guess I uh, I I did quite have it all all figured out, you know. Um, I had noted in this this article too. Um, you know, I just want to give a shout out to to Lisa Hirsch because um, I had said, you know, my mom was the one that I always could depend on, and she wasn't only just my mother but my best friend. And as as my friend Lisa Hirsch titled her book, "My Mom, My Hero," I said that to me pretty much sums up who my mom was. You know, um, because she was able to. Um, you know, through the tough times, she was there to guide and support, but she was also there on those special occasions, you know, where we could celebrate together. So these are just some of the things um, that mom taught me. Um, I wrote, mom taught me to look for the tiniest things to be grateful for, um, to hold a hand out to those in need, to love deeply, to consciously make a difference in my life and others to work hard and be responsible, to understand my impact on others, realizing, appreciating, and honoring the world is really much larger than myself and that we're all interconnected, um, to understand that to be a mother, one doesn't have to physically have their own child, but rather be willing to adopt a child in mind, body, heart, and soul. You know, to make a connection and a difference in someone's life is to be a mother. And, um, you know, she showed me that by how she chose to live. You know, she really led by example, showing me a variety of ways um, just to be a compassionate person. Um, And I think that's something we've really lost in this world is how to be compassionate, how to listen to others not just their words, um, you know, not just hear their words, but really listen. Because uh, sometimes I think we we hear somebody, but we don't process it, and we're already thinking of our next statement. You know, we're really not engaged with them. Um, to look for nonverbal signs of what others truly want or need when their words are lost or when their pride holds holds things back. And and I think to me that's a really important piece, um, especially when you're dealing with somebody with dementia who might not be able to find the words. Um, to look past those everyday judgments and see the whole person standing before me, I mean, th- this disease really taught me that. Um, and I always thought I was pretty good at it, but there's, you know, no matter how good we get at anything, there's all there's always more, and we can always be better. You know, there's ways to improve, um, you know, and that's that statement, um, you know, to me talks about all the stigmas that we have attached to this disease and the fear. And it's so much easier to walk away instead of looking and and learning about the whole person. And, and uh, to me, that's that's just a critical, critical piece. Um, what lessons did you learn from from your mom, Harry? Anything come to mind? Um, 
probably probably the mean streak in me, uh, Roy. <laughs> she, she 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 told me that very well. But no, no, seriously, it it, it it's amazing though. You, you don't have to you don't have to give birth to a child to be a great mom. Because now why I say that is I know growing up um we had we had some neighbors and we had a we had a neighbor lady that that was like a second mom to me. Mhm. I mean, she she treated me just like her child. If she saw me doing something wrong, she didn't hesitate to to set me straight and things mm-hmm. like that and I always considered her to be be another mom to me. You know, when 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 she passed, I felt as much as much grief for her as I did my own mother. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, I mean that's not saying that that I didn't love my mother. Don't you know? Don't misunderstand. But but it, the word mom means so much more. It doesn't mean giving birth to somebody. It, it, yep. It's the person that 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 takes care of, of of somebody. Let's say, if that makes sense to you. That makes a lot of sense, and I I think um, you know it's about being motherly. It's about showing that motherly love, and and sometimes that motherly love is tough love. Going, Harry, knock it off, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and and drawing the line in the sand, and we might not always appreciate it, but you know that's. Because somebody loves you, you know they want to protect you and guide you and teach you kind of right from wrong. And I mean, my gosh, what, where would we be without those lessons? You know, we we need we need those moms. Um, and that's not to play down dads at all, but we we need those those role models definitely in in our life. Um, I also wrote down some other things um, that you know, that mom really taught me through her illness you know, through her battle with dementia. Um, and one of the biggest ones was to let go of control and to realize that control is really a mirage, a trap of guilt and pleasure. Um, and because with dementia, we can't control it. And so you have to learn to be more flexible. You have to learn to go with the flow. You have to... Um, learn to not be, you know, so judgmental um, and to have things fit neatly in a box. And and when you let go of control, you have more control, which sounds really strange, but you have, because I think what control brings us is a sense of comfort, and we don't even realize that that's what it's doing for us. Um, and um, and so when you let go of control and you don't let it upset you anymore that things might change, you have much more comfort, or I found much more comfort, and I found much more happiness. Um, I wasn't as stressed. I was able to laugh a lot more, have fun. Um, you know, Mom taught me how to play again. And I kind of forgot how to do that as an adult, and that was that's a pretty big thing, <laughs> you know, because um, I like to laugh. Uh, now, do you think that the role of a mother has changed over the years? Uh, now, why I say that is the the Aussie and Harriet mom no longer exists. <laughs> you know, the mom of today is so much different than we were. 
say, 20, 25, 30 years ago um, because of, of a lot of different reasons. But uh, do you think the role of a mother has changed that mm-hmm. when future generations um, grow up, will they still have the fond memories of Mother's Day that, that say, we do? Well, I think I think the role of the mom has changed a lot because um, the family structure has changed a ton. You know, it's uh, you know a family isn't a mom and dad necessarily anymore. It could be two men, it could be two women, it could be just a mom, it could be just a dad. You know, I mean, there's there's so many. You know, there could be merged families. I mean, family is different and so since our family structure has changed i think those roles have changed you know when i grew up dad did the outside work mom did the inside work and that you know now i look around in my neighborhood and you know the women are out doing the yards and <laughs> shoveling the snow and um you know it, it's not a few of them are changing their own oil but <laughs> you know i mean the roles have definitely changed and so you know and they're working you know, when I grew up, my mom for a long time didn't work, and then she got bored and and then went to work um, because once we were in school and stuff, she was still very active volunteering and, you know, church and Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and all of that kind of stuff. Um, we always had dinner together. Um, very few families can say that they have dinner together. You know, they run through McDonald's and they eat in the car on the way to a sports event. So, yeah, I think the role of mom has changed a lot. Um, You know, women know about finances. I remember my mom talking to me when I grew up at the age of, like, 11, saying, we're going to get you a bank account. You need a bank account. You need to build credit. And I'm 11 going, what are you talking about? Credit. And she said, I had no credit. Everything's in your dad's name. Women need to have credit. You know, you need to understand about money. She said, I can't believe, you know, myself and so many friends, we we knew nothing about any of that. She's like, it's not right. <laughs> you know, so, so, yeah, Harry, I think you're right. I think the roles of mom have changed significantly. Um, you know, will memories be different? Yeah. You know, because I think, I think lifestyles are different. Um, but I, I still think that there's an enormous amount of respect that we um, need to have for these women um, and and what they sacrifice and what they do. And, you know, I, I didn't know what a mom did till I became one. You know, and, and probably you didn't know what a dad did until you became a father. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's always different. Or you didn't really know what marriage was like until you're married. Um, you know, you can read about it and you can watch it, but until you live those roles, um, it, I think it has a profound effect um, on people and how they choose, how they choose to play that role out. Because there's, I mean, I, I'm sure there's a lot of mothers out there that aren't so great, um, you know, that, that don't, you know, love their children at the level we, you know, most of us would like to see. Um, but that's with all people, you know, um, and and maybe they weren't loved like that as a child. And so, I, I, again, I think it's even more important to lead by example because um, I think that's how most people really learn. 
you know, is to to watch and feel the impact of of somebody who's who's authentic. There is there is uh, uh, one of the things I don't want to call it a myth, but um, a mom doesn't have to be a female because I know I know many uh, many fathers that are raising their children through through various causes the death of the, of the wife or whatever mm-hmm. and it, I also wondered if if the child had a had a loss of um, of having a mother role now I know there's a lot of uh, a new trend of, of stay home dads that mm-hmm. that, uh, that stays home and tend to the the children while the while the mother has a career or whatever. And I also wonder if the child misses that having a mother. But you know, mothers come in all different, all different forms. And from what the people I've talked to, the child never had a loss of a mother because their father raised them. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it wasn't. Now they 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 still saw him as a father but they also saw him as as a mother figure that that this is still the person they went to to confide in and things like that. But you know, mm-hmm. Mother's Day is just more than 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 just giving birth to a child and, and things like that. I mean it it's huge. Mhm. Yeah, you're you're very you're very true. Um and I and I think you're right there are a lot of um single men raising children that that have to have that mothering role as well. And I and I think the I think the father's roles have changed a lot. I think um things that you know they're not so black and white anymore in terms of you know there's more shared responsibility in terms of raising children and um who's going to do what and how it's going to be done and and I think that's a good thing. Um I know not everyone would agree with that, but I I really um I really truly do believe um that that's a good thing. I I think it's good to know what others have um contributed and to be able to take on some of those values and roles and live them in your own life. I I think that's a beautiful thing. To be able to to do, I think you're right because uh, a lot of a lot of times, like like with uh, no, I had I had two daughters and one son, and I'm not sure which is easier to raise the, the girls or the boys, but that's 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 another copy. But I, I know a lot of times when when the girls uh you know growing up, um, and say they they started through the boyfriend stage. And mm-hmm. of course, every every little girl has a heart broken. And who who do they go to for guidance? And it's usually the mother. But every now and then, um, my girls would come to me. Now, you know, fathers have a tendency: is I'm I'm going to go beat him up. You know, but I think fathers are growing up too. And, and and they're getting more of a uh, uh, a more of a of understanding and being mm-hmm. able to help out their daughters and stuff like that. So you know the role of the parents are changing from mom and dad to just 
caregivers and care partners, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very true. Now, um, did you guys do anything special for for Mother's Day with with Hazel? With um, with well, your kids? We 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 spend Mother's Day now. My daughter's a, a mother too, so um, we um, we had dinner here and uh, and just it, it, it's one of those days that uh, you just sit around and 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 talk about uh, uh, about the about the 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 trials and tribulation of childbirth and things like that and and uh, and my goodness I went through 27 days of labor and you know things like that and and we had a we had a good time just talking about uh about the kids growing up and and it's amazing now now my daughter is uh 47 years old so so she's not a she's not a young girl anymore but she's certainly not an old lady but it, it's funny that when my child that I know is my child is telling me stories of her mothering of her child. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of it's kind of hard for me to to sit back and, uh, and and hear about all the all the problems and things that your children. Now, my my grandson just turned twenty one on Mother's Day, so uh, of course we can talk we can talk about him, and he's not a little kid anymore. But you know, we could talk about all the bad things he did when he grew up, and it's just like, oh my goodness, you know, it, it, it's kind of hard for me to to put that in the right perspective that this is my grandson, this is my daughter's son, you know. So I mean, we had a day like that, just a nice day of just sitting around, relaxing, and just and just talking. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's nice. That's nice to be able to do. We used to, um, I mean, we always used to get together, even with my mom and her end stages. You know, we would go to the nursing home or <clears throat> before that, you know, when she was um, able, we'd have a big party at the house and have everybody over. And, you know, before that, we would go out when she was still able to do to do that. And so this year, you know, my daughter and I, we went out to the cemetery and just kind of celebrated and put roses and balloons and you know, on her on her grave, and then uh, later that day, um, Daniel and her boyfriend Steve made a really nice dinner for for me and for his mom. And the four of us had had dinner um, out by. Uh, we had a big fire in the backyard, and it was it was really nice in the evening. And um, it was very nice that they that they did that, and you know, bought us roses, and um, it was just a, a nice nice day to just you know be together which was which was great um you know some of the other lessons that i had written in this article because it it is quite long um that that i would like to share um with our audience here today was you know mom really through illness um helped me embrace the simplicity of life that you know i i don't need big and fancy i don't need a lot of things and money and status um but it, that it really is about the smile and the glint in the eye and holding a hand and and being in the presence of somebody that you love and it saddens me that um that i had to learn that that i lost that because i think children have that and then as we become adults 
um, we learn that other things are important. And um, it's funny how how illness and death can bring us back to that childlike level of simplicity of of what's really important in your life. What do you really want? And that was a massive, massive gift um, to me. You know, um, she taught me to smile and spread grace. Um, Again, something I knew as a child um, inherently and as adults, um, you get busy. And not that I didn't smile a lot, but I, I smile, I think, more often. I smile more sincerely. I smile more intently than what I used to. Um, she taught me to love more deeply than I ever knew was possible. You know, she taught me many levels of unconditional love, you know, as you go through loss and, um, you know, there's always kind of a new wave with this disease. Um, she taught me to laugh hard and authentically to embed the moment of joy into my soul. And, and that was a huge one because, um, you know, as things change with dementia, you know, what, um, and in our lives in general, what do you want to remember? You know, and, and for me, I learned that there were three things that we typically take with us. You know, what scares us, what saddens us, and what brings us joy. And I decided that I needed to consciously focus on creating joy and embedding those moments. Um, so those are the things that I carry forward, you know, with me. And and I, I don't know about you, Harry, but what you know, what do you what do you want to remember in your life? What do you think your mom would want you to re- remember and carry forward? I think I think the biggest thing that that uh, that my parents tried to instill in me is my, is in fact, all my brothers and sisters is independence. Uh, that that we we have two feet, stand on your own two feet. And don't let somebody influence you in any way. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's one of the that's one of the biggest things that uh, one of the hardest lessons to, to teach because uh, a lot of a lot of people still have the thought of the of the mother um, staying at home baking bread and things like that. Well, that mother's gone. You know, this, mm-hmm. that mother's out there, she's digging holes, she's fighting wars, uh, she's doing a lot of different things that that uh, our mothers would never even think about doing. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I think the biggest thing was that we were taught to, to stay strong and don't let the little things in life bother you. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's, that's a big important thing in my life because... Uh, I just don't let the little things in my life influence me anymore, and uh, I think it's all because of the background that that I was taught through my life. Another thing I never I never quite understood is is how does mothers get the medical degree? I mm-hmm. mean, they know how to fix everything from a from a boo boo when you fall outside to who knows. Wrapped colic around your neck when you have a sore throat, things like that. I mean, it, it's amazing. It's amazing that the knowledge that that mothers have, good or bad, you know, mm-hmm. some 
some of the things I think back, and oh my goodness, why did I do that? But yeah, it, it, it's amazing that um, mother, mothers is probably the biggest, the biggest influence on anybody's life. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think I don't think when when uh, when a mother is created that that was that was one of the lessons they learned or one of the goals they learned, but, but somehow they evolved into this into this super smart person that we all go to for help, understanding, and comfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree. It's um. You know, it's kind of that softness that the mom, the mom is always the one to just make everything okay. You know, to make us safe, and um, and that's huge. We and we forget how important that sense of safety and comfort, and and you know, sense of belonging really is in our lives, and and it's massively huge. Um, and I think we have to, I think we have to weigh that out. A lot more than than what we do. I think we have to um, really respect that and honor that, and and try to give that to others. And again, it's it's not like you had said earlier, Harry. You know, roles are changing, and it's not it's not just a mother's role anymore. You know, it it really is all of our responsibilities. Um, you know, to make people feel comfortable and loved and and purposeful. Um they just you know tend to be the the major major role models you know for us on that. Um one of the other things that that mom taught me to was to talk openly and honestly with others acknowledging all my emotions without embarrassment. And you know the without embarrassment isn't always easy um because you know, we want to be strong and we don't want to be sad and we don't want to cry. And, you know, there's all those phrases, you know, pull your big girl panties up or boys don't cry or you know, whatever it is, you know, where we're supposed to be tough. But um, but we all have those different emotions. And to pretend like we don't is just ridiculous. Um, you know, people have fear. Um, people get sad. They they get depressed. They're extremely happy. Um, why are we so afraid of acknowledging all of them? Because it's not, you know, the emotions aren't good or bad. It's really just our reaction to them that can get us in trouble, you know, with that. But I, I don't, you know, and I think it's easier to push through an emotion when you aren't trying to hide it. You know, if you're if you're down and depressed or sad. You know, maybe you just have to feel it, feel that for a little bit before you can move through it and get back to the other side. Um, you know, people have said, I had one girlfriend tell me even, um, this was right after my mom had died. It was a week after she died. And and um, I was feeling a little mel- <clears throat> melancholy on a Friday night and then Saturday. And she's like, you have to snap out of this. And she was calling me every hour and just you know, you, you, you know, you, you, she's gone. It's okay. You know, it's okay. Let it go. I, and I finally, I just said, you know, I really loved my mom and I miss her and it's okay for me to cry. It might make you feel really uncomfortable, you know, but I'm not curled up in a ball in my room for a week 
um, not wanting to talk to anybody in a major depression. I am just grieving, and I'm going to grieve, and I'm not going to apologize for that. And and if you can't handle that, then you can stay away for a while. But I'm really okay, you know. And that was really strange um, to to have to say something like that to a really good friend. Um, but it. They were so uncomfortable. This person was so uncomfortable with with my grief, and um, and then she said to me later, which was really interesting. She said, "You know, I I realized why I was so upset and why I wanted you to stop." And I said, "Why?" And she said, "Because I really loved my dad, and I really never mm-hmm. grieved." Because mm-hmm. she because she was scared to go there, you know, and so that was to me um, being able to talk openly and honestly, and you know, acknowledging emotions a a lesson, you know, that was that mom taught me that was really important in my life as well, and always has been, and it was something she taught me before illness, but was even more important through the illness. Um, because I think the emotions, you know, go up and down so much more <laughs> you know, through the through the process. There, what what do you think about emotions? Do you think it's okay to talk about them and have them and and tell people how you're really feeling? It it it's funny the way because um, before my before my uh, uh, Alzheimer's. Um, I had the philosophy that a man had to be strong. He was always the backbone, and um, he was never, ever allowed to show emotions. Uh, I know growing up, I was never allowed to show fear. Uh, if, a, if a dog came into the yard barking, baring his teeth, I could never back down from the dog. You know, I always had to stand up to it and, and those kind of things. But, but after I got Alzheimer's, um, I realized that a lot of people, I don't, I don't think that's good to begin with, and a lot mm-hmm. of people can't do that. It's, it's okay. It's okay. Like if I'm speaking with somebody, it's okay. It's not gonna, it's not unmanly for me to cry with somebody when, when they're grieving over something. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's, uh, it, it's okay for me to show tenderness. And things like that. Whereas before, I was never, I don't want to say never allowed to, to do that, but but in the time period that I grew up, men just didn't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, they, men, men would never would never comfort publicly that way. Now, maybe mm-hmm. maybe behind closed doors that was allowed, but but openly that that's not. And I've changed so much because I think I, I think I, I, I started to understand people, and I started to understand their needs, and mm-hmm. their needs are different than my needs. So I have to be careful that that when I'm supporting somebody, I'm supporting their needs, not my needs. And sometimes people just want you to to understand what they are going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't necessarily need you to fix it. 
Um, and I think a lot of times we think we have to fix it and be responsible for it. And they just want to be heard. They just need to like, you know, it's kind of like a teapot. You're in there brewing and the pressure's got to come. <laughs> you got to get it out. Um, and nothing really has to be done, but it just it needs to be heard and, and respected and um, and supported in whatever fashion is good for them. And I, and I think that that is, um, you know, that's a big lesson for us all to learn um, is how we support one another. Um, are we being person-centered or are we being um, centered about ourselves? Are we really taking care of ourselves and trying to make ourselves comfortable and making them fit our model versus us trying to figure out, you know, how does their world spin and, and really where is their comfort zone and, and how, do we, how do we make that work? Um, and, I, and I, you know, I look back at growing up and um, I've always felt like I was person-centered, but yet I'll, I'll, never, I'll never forget as long as I live a comment my daughter when she was about three years old said to me. And now you have to, you have to um, keep in mind that I was always the fix-it person. I was always perceived as the caregiver. I was always the one in a crisis. You know, I mean, it was just I, I was the one people went to. And my daughter, at the age of about three, one time said to me, Mom, not everybody wants to live your life. And and at the time, I didn't know what the heck she was talking about. But it was exactly that point, Harry. I was trying to make, I, I was trying to, um, make things comfortable in what I thought was best in terms of lifestyle or whatever it was. And I wasn't, I really wasn't taking um, into consideration as much as I needed to what was comfortable and what was loving to to the person I was trying to help. Because it was very different than than my world, you know their their values, their needs, their you know desires, all of that were were very different. And I and I was trying to make them fit my model. And I and, and a three year old saw that, mm-hmm. you know. And I didn't see it for years later. I, I didn't. I did not see that for years and years later. Um, until I realized I was uh, being more of an enabler versus a caregiver, and um, and then that was my kind of rude awakening. But yeah, that's a really good point to know what the other person's needs and wants and desires are, and are we are we fixing a problem that's uncomfortable for us, or are we really you know trying to help them um, feel more comfortable in their life? And there's a there's a very fine line there, and I think well, I think it's a uh, you know I'm really glad you brought it up because I think it's a point we don't talk about. Mm-hmm. You know that that it's just not even conscious. You know for for many with that, so very interesting. Well, our group here is very quiet today. I thought we'd have more people calling in. I see people on the line, and chat box is kind of quiet too. You just never know. Um, I I so, see Michelle Michelle was on and and I thought for sure that she would have something to uh, 
You can to ask. Because she always does. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Someone here is just called in, so let me get them on. Or maybe I missed them, and it wasn't here before, but they're here now. So I've got somebody from a 561 number, and you are live and on the air. Do you want to state your name? Hi. Hi, Laurie. It's Bob DeMarco. Oh, hi, Bob. How are you doing? Good. Can you hear me? We can hear you. We were getting a little bit of an echo, but not now. Now it's good. So I'm so glad you yep. called in. I just thought I had uh, put a note on on Bob's page saying, you know, you know, please call in because he would be ideal. I mean, he's done such a wonderful job with Alzheimer's Reading Room and honoring his mother. So I, I'm thrilled that you called in. Um, do you have a, a tribute or anything in particular you want to talk about with your own mom? Um, not really. By the way, I saw your message, but unfortunately I was on a, uh, a conference call, so I just came on in the last uh, five minutes or so. Oh, okay. Um, well, basically, well, I was going to say, like, talk um, about honoring moms. Um, well, you know, I wrote an article the other day, and I, I mean, I guess for me, each year when I come up to Mother's Day or the anniversary of the death of my mother, her birthday, and any other holiday, and I I think we're all similar in this. I'm always uh, interested to see what I'm thinking and how I'm feeling. And uh, uh, it's, it's kind of a moving target. My mother uh, died and went to heaven on May 25th, uh, 2012. So we're coming up on the two-year anniversary. But remarkably, on uh, Sunday, as soon as I woke up, uh, like the minute I woke up, a song started coming to my mind. And I think most people know this, anybody that likes music. Uh, the title of it is uh, Always On My Mind, which was, uh, I think, originally recorded by Willie Nelson. He has the most uh, famous recording. <laughs> so at any rate, um, it just kept playing over and over in my mind. And uh, as a result of that, um, I had mostly positive thoughts. Obviously, I miss my mother, but I was thinking of, uh, you know, a lot of different things that we were doing all the time, even right up to the end. Um, so... Uh, Two years in, and uh, I'm doing pretty good, and I think everybody knows that reads on the blog that uh, we had a, uh, you know, a really positive situation. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and you, and you, and and your mom helped so many people, you know, through this process all around the world. In terms of, you know, your audience is so large and engaged, um, which is wonderful. Um, you know, we need we we need places for people to land and connect and and feel like others others get it. So I you know kudos to you for continuing to do your work even after your your mom has passed. Because I I know I get asked that all the time. Are you going to keep are you going to keep doing what you're doing, Laurie? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's too important not to. You know and. Um, so so entrenched. I would imagine you had a lot of um, stories on on your blog as well from from people writing about their situations because I know you get a lot of nice comments. Um, I haven't been getting too much stories, too many stories lately, and it, it's mainly because I've been so busy. I haven't really been asking for them. But I want to elaborate on what you said. Um, obviously, what you're doing is important, and you know I think we both know that the typical caregiver uh, in a situation at least like mine where I was a standalone caregiver uh, even though we might want to as the, as the disease stages it begets 
for me anyway, it was almost impossible to go to a support group. Uh, and the main reason for that was I just really couldn't leave my mother alone, even with somebody else for any experience, uh, um, for any extended period of time. So, you know, any time uh, a person discovers the net and they start to come to a place like mine or yours, I think they get a, um, a feeling of connectedness and certainly uh, uh, I find, you know, cause I have new caregiver subscribers like every day of the week and they're asking the same exact questions, uh, that you and I might've asked in the beginning. So at least there, there really wasn't much on the net in 2003 when I started virtually nothing really. And, yeah. uh, so at least they have an opportunity via the internet, you know, to come up the learning curve a lot faster than we did in the old days. And I think that's a, I think that's real positive. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. And and now we've got, you know, places like um, well, Harry's with Forget-Me-Nots and Memory People. I mean, there's so many different groups that are out there. And many belong to more than one, which is wonderful because they, they feed one another and they share information. And the, the whole grassroots effort has grown so much, um, I think, through social media and through this ability to connect um, on a free basis, too. I think that's one of the big things that a lot of the large organizations don't get is that people need information for free. Um, and I think that companies have to start supporting um, these platforms in different fashions um, because people need the information and they just and they need a, they need a place they can go that they trust. And and the internet can be a big big bad spooky place to be. Um, but when you have large audiences, um, like you've got Bob and Harry has and uh, memory people and myself and, and so many others, uh, it's just, uh, it's that comfort. It's kind of like that comfort blanket for people to be able to interact and, and get great information. So, well, I thank you very much for calling in today. Anything else you want to share with people? Uh no, that's it. I'm sorry I didn't get here early. Keep up the good work. Okay, you too, Bob. Thank you for calling in. Appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Well, that was great for him to call in. He just does such fabulous work um, out there in the community. Before we jump back in, I just want to do kind of uh, some mid-program highlights. Um, again, I want to remind people that um, the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation is doing a um, – a contest. Um, since May is the month we celebrate mothers, um, they would love you to submit your story, um, kind of your love story for your mom, and submit your favorite picture of her too. They're asking again that you share your favorite mom moment or memories as a way to honor her and support her um, for all she's done for you throughout the years. And they'd love you love it if you can share a photo with your story. Um, if you can, and um, they said to submit your entry to contest at alzheimersprevention.org. That's contestprevention.org, and I did put that in the chat box. You need to submit it by tomorrow, May 14th, and when you submit your entry, when you do that email, um, shoot in there your email or your mailing address so that they can send a prize out to you. 
everyone who submits an entry will receive a surprise gift, and then the contest winner will also receive a special packet of custom-made um, gorgeous Asian floral um, blank greeting cards, which are always a nice thing to be able to have. Um, if you didn't hear our show last week, um, I would recommend you go back and listen to it. It was about music matters and, and learning why, and we had um, Alzheimer's Music Connect on with us. That um, is just a fabulous organization doing some some uh, great things and has wonderful products to help us uh, with dementia. Next week, we are going to have um, a student on who actually happens to be one of my interns, uh, Michelle, along with her professor, um, and we are going to have a certified um, therapeutic um, recreational specialist from Canada with us, and we're we're going to really be talking about connections. Um, the first half will be about students in dementia and why it's so critical that we get more kids involved in geriatrics um, as a profession, and. Um, and then Marla at the end is going to talk about just connecting and using her um, therapeutic uh, rec skills in terms of how she's helping families connect. Um, we do have a dementia chat this afternoon as well, and that starts at 3 p.m. Eastern time, 2 p.m. Central, 1 p.m. Mountain, and that's noon Pacific time. And though there will be a blog post going up on that, we'll, put, we'll also put that on the Dementia Chats page um, at um, on Facebook as well. And let's see, if you are not part of our resource directory, I would encourage you to um, please go to alzheimerspeaks.com. And up in the top, we have a button that says um, partnering option share that you care just click on that you just have to become a member first once you become a member you can start adding resources so you can add um, links to articles to video to books um, we have a whole resource library and again it doesn't have to be your book or your article if you like something that's out there um, just put the link to it and push it out there um, we need to connect people to resources um, in addition if you are a business or have a, a product a service or a tool um, go to the caring support area there is lots of um, subcategories to pick from you can input in more than one area this is all free and um, we also have an event section there as well so uh, please feel free to to be part of that on the blog um, I always like to highlight some of the articles that were posted um, Michelle the intern had just posted one on the 11th called another step and that uh, that was really she's just done some really cool things she's going to be rolling out a dementia cafe um, or a memory cafe uh, coming up here and she's working really hard at that and so she talks a little bit about that I have this post called um, feeling lost without my mother which really talks about much of what we're talking about today in terms of the gifts of gratitude and the lessons that she taught me. Um, I also posted, um, or I shouldn't say I posted, uh, Kevin Wu posted um, an article about uh, women in Alzheimer's and their diagnosis. Um, there's also a post from Us Against Alzheimer's, um, which is talking about a uh, conversation that they're going to be having May 16th that people can sign up for. 
Um, so check that out. If you missed the 60 Minutes uh, segment last week, you can uh, go and see that. It was really quite interesting about Life Over 90, and then they had a part of it on dementia as well. And then I did want to highlight again Memory People's um, Faces of Dementia Quilt, which is just an absolutely wonderful quilt um, that's virtual that anybody can participate in. Um, and it's not just for the person with dementia, it's for caregivers, advocates, etc. And uh, my understanding is you can even submit more than one patch if you'd like, so there's information on that. Um, if you're in the UK, there is a petition going for um, adding admiral nurses, um, which they really need. I think they were over 3,000 signatures, but in order to submit it to David Cameron, they need 5,000 signatures. So um, please go and sign up for that. And then the last one I'm going to mention was I did a follow-up to my, my post about feeling lost about mom, and it was um, really about the happy song and, and kind of the lesson that she she taught me for that. Um, <clears throat> I do want to mention also Alzheimer's Disease International. If you're looking anywhere in the world for an Alzheimer's Association, they are the place to go. Um, and you'll be able to find who's close to you. The Purple Angel Project, which was started by uh, Norms McNamara and Jane Moore. You can find information actually on alzheimerspeaks.com if you want to go there to our About section. We've got a whole page on that. The Alzheimer's Studies Group. If you are looking for a clinical trial, they have a new one out on frontal temporal lobe. They also have their tau trial going. We talked already about the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation, but don't forget about the Lewy Body um, Dementia Association, the frontal temporal lobe, and the National Aphasia Association. Those are are all very um, special, unique associations with um, specific types of dementia um, that can be very resourceful for you. And then last, uh, just a couple of social pieces here. Puzzle With Me, um, Jiminy Wicket, and um, Music First with Coral Health are just nice ways to to be able to engage people. Now, we also have someone else on the line here. So we've got somebody from a 201 number. I'm going to go ahead and pull you in. 201, um, can you state your name, please? It's Michelle DeSocio, Lori. Well, speak of the devil, and there you are. How are you doing I, today, I Michelle? heard you guys, but, uh, you know, I got a call from the facility. Um, I almost changed on the medication, and I had it told them it's not a good medication, but... They were having difficulties, and then they called back and said, well, you were right. We got to take her off. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a you know, trial and error as we go along in this journey. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I just wanted to, uh, to add to your conversation about moms. And my mom, with my story, the biggest, the biggest thing I could say about my mom, and I always say she is always a mom no matter what. Mom lived uh-huh. with me for many years, misdiagnosed. I knew she was sick, but she was so young. She was in her 50s, and dementia was not on the radar for us or the doctors. And, you know, after a hospital stay, 19 days in the psych ward, they finally figured out she had dementia. And they told her she had less than three years to live, 
and she insisted on placement, that she did not want to be a burden to her children. It was against me and my sister's wishes, but she did not want to put that on her children. And I think Mm -hmm. that was an ultimate sacrifice that only a mother could do. Um, And at the time, I was very angry, and so was my sister. But Mm -hmm. as the years went by, I realized it really wasn't a bad thing because she had many good years still left, and we got to see her often, take her out, do holidays together, and go out for Sunday brunches, go to church, dinners. You know, nothing really changed except mom lived somewhere else. And Mm -hmm. so the disease started to advance, and then she had professionals that were able to care for her the way she needed. Mm -hmm. And on Mother's Day... Um, I was kind of torn because I had the whole family coming here at my house, you know, and I wanted to be with mom. And mom can't handle the big groups anymore, so me and my husband and my daughter went earlier in the day and mm-hmm. spent the day, you know, the, you know, time with mom a few hours. She can't do more than a few hours anymore anyway. She gets tired. Um, but then I had to leave her, and I didn't want to go. But mm-hmm. I'm a mother, too, and I have children, and, and you know, I'm torn all the time. Um, but I had a lovely Mother's Day. You know, I had the best of both worlds. I got to spend time with Mom, and uh-huh. I got to spend time with my family. And it was nice for my daughter. She's in college and works full-time, and she doesn't get to really see her grandmother as much as we'd all like. Mm-hmm. And it was a little bit of a wake-up call for her to see me feeding my mother, you know, and her pureed food and food and you know, my mother was hurting and wasn't able to communicate it, and it took me about 15 minutes to find the problem. And mm-hmm. they're they're helping. She has something wrong with her foot, and they're they're treating it, but she wasn't able to communicate it to me, and it was hurting her. Mm-hmm. And you know, we got. I know I called someone right away, and they gave us some Tylenol. It's being treated, but you know, these were all good things I think for my daughter to see and learn. You know, about this yep. disease. She's she's very worried about it. Um, mm-hmm. being passed on to me, of course. Um, but I try to tell her we take it one day at a time and we do the best we can because we don't know what tomorrow will bring and we got to live in the moment and enjoy it. Yep, very, very true. Is there is there a special lesson that you're just super appreciative of your mom for teaching you, you know, a life lesson that you'd like to share? Uh, my mom just was always unconditional love. I was never afraid of my mom to tell her anything. She was always, always there, always my number one backup fan, always there, no matter what, right, wrong. She'd tell me if I was wrong, but she would always support me. Mhm. Well, that's and nice. And, and um, you know, I would always say that mom was my safe place and kind of it's a role reversal now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm her safe place now. Yep. Yep, definitely. Harry, do you have anything that you'd like to add? Hello there, Harry. Hey, hello, Michelle. How are you? I'm good. Good. <laughs> good. Good. I um, it, it, It's interesting talking about mothers because uh, uh, everybody has their own, their own uh, I mean, mothers, mothers sit up on that pedestal. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, very few people I I talk to have anything bad to say about their mothers. You know, 
Now, yeah, we all talked about our mothers and things like that, but but nothing really really bad about it. And um, thinking back, uh, my my mother she was a brute. I mean, she could be uh, she could be downright mean at times, and and you didn't want to cross her when she said no. That meant no, regardless. And uh, but but she also had a tender side to it that that. I don't know if I could ever, ever learn how to do that. You know, how to be, how to be tough and and gentle at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Yeah, it it really is. It really, uh, it is a such a balancing act. <clears throat> you know, um, you know, for all of us and and the skill set that they have, they just make it look so so easy. You know. But um well I thank you for calling in Michelle that was that was so nice of you to uh to take the time uh to call especially when you were on the phone you know dealing with things with your mom as well we know that that's always a that pleasure come first. thank you for all the good works that you do good to hear from thank you Harry Hey thank you Michelle you too Okay thanks um I'm going to look at my my notes. Can you believe I still have more life lessons um, that I had written down? Um, One I had noted was to understand that we're all in this life together and that shame, guilt, and denial shut us down. Realizing the only way to get past those crushing emotions is to be open, honest, and proud. You've recognized them and what's triggered them, allowing you to move through them, past them, and over them. And again, I think I think having that feeling of not being alone and to really be able to be honest was um, such a gift. And I know that it can throw people for a loop when you're really honest because um, they don't know how to deal with it. You know, we're we're not used to having deep conversations, and and I think that it's important. Um, another lesson was um, to not only say I'm sorry when wrong, but to change my behavior to avoid it from happening again. And, uh, you know, I can't count how many times, you know, people have said I'm sorry, but then they continue with the same behavior. And, and to me, that that's not, not authentic. So I really appreciate that lesson as well. Um, she taught me to feel my fear think of alternatives, remove it, and to be brave enough to take action to reclaim the life I envisioned. And and that's pretty beautiful, too, um, because you have to acknowledge when you're scared or have fear. Um, otherwise, it just it, it runs you. You know, it runs you to the ground. Um to follow my instincts, even when they seem to be goofy or senseless, and that that was a tough one to learn. I don't know if you ever struggled with that, but a lot of times I get that gut sense I should be doing one thing, and and I would ignore it, and then it was like, oh, I really should have done that <laughs> afterwards, even when it doesn't seem like it makes sense. And so I I kind of go with the flow a lot more with that stuff than um, than what I used to do, and I really. Trust now in a higher power than myself. Again, knowing that I'm I'm not alone, and and I try not to judge others on whatever their beliefs are, either. You know, um, to try to convert them to to my thoughts. I, I I find that when I learn what other people believe in, um, 
I truly do expand my knowledge and my ability to connect, you know, without judgment. And um and I and I always learn from others. And um and that's a pretty big lesson to be to be open to that. Um in the chat box here we have uh someone had written in and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right if it's um Elvare um or Elvaro um I'm not quite sure she uh said in honor of a mother who died in 2006 I'm working to make um, my city which is Arlington Texas a dementia friendly city um asking that I would love for your audience to share any thoughts about what dementia what a dementia friendly city would look like and um said that yesterday uh she volunteered um to work with the Arlington Police Department to fly a quadcopter which is a drone with a camera to look for wanderers who wander away on foot um, says I'm awaiting for their response. If they don't let me volunteer, then maybe I can offer the service. And um, what a cool way, you know, f- for that search and rescue. I-, I just thought that that's very, very interesting. So, um, so I I, um, I have to giggle here because. Um, Elva just wrote in that that is her first name and Roy is her last name and I thought it was one name and you know I get people who listen all over the world so I never quite know so so no offense there Elva um thank you so much for for clarifying that for me um do people have comments on a dementia friendly city what would that look like we'd love to hear from you on that Harry do you have any thoughts on that uh, yeah, dementia friendly is becoming a um, uh, a catch-all term now, and, and nobody really understands what dementia friendly means because dementia friendly to someone living with dementia is quite different than somebody that doesn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, a dementia friendly city, to me, is is uh, a city that is is uh, easy for somebody living with dementia to move around the city. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a lot of things that, uh, a lot of obstacles and stuff like that that uh, that we have to overcome. And uh, little things like that, um, I would like to see, I would like to see cities have, have, um, I don't know, I don't know if you would call them information boots or something like that, but I know a lot of times when we're out wandering um, or walking, uh, whatever you want to call it, we get lost, and it would be nice if if there would be places that um, tell us where we're at. You often see these maps that say, you are here. Mm-hmm. And it's usually at road stops and things like that, like along the turnpike and things like that. I think that would be cool if cities would have maps of the streets and and so on and have them labeled. And you are here. So I know if I want to get to so-and-so, I get down two streets and make a right. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that type of thing. That, that's dementia-friendly to me. Dementia-friendly is... Uh, it's like here in the, in East Petersburg, uh, uh, a big thing is to make all the curbing 
like at, at intersections so you don't have to step down. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's all part of dementia friendly. There's there's so, so, so many things that that you can do. So I, I don't care how any one city can say we're dementia friendly because you, they can always do better. Mhm. Well it was interesting. Um I was on LinkedIn the other day and they said they were really offended by the term dementia friendly and and the way they used it they said we wouldn't put out this is a black friendly community or an asian friendly community or you know why are we making it dementia friendly and um you know to me i kind of gave some thought on that and and i agree we wouldn't do that it wouldn't be politically correct um, but we have such great ignorance in terms of what dementia even is. Um, and I think it was really done in a mode of education and awareness um, in terms of, of people understanding it. I, I, I personally don't take effect by it. I'm not living with dementia, um, but I've, you know, I've been touched by it. Um, I don't know how else we communicate or raise awareness with dementia without, you know, using the word in it um, to 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 elevate, you know, our our educational status on our on our care culture. I don't think we're ready to go to an overall care culture, um, you know, a, a caring friendly, you know, status. I, I, with it, what are your thoughts on on the word dementia friendly? Is that offensive at all to you, Harry? It it doesn't offend me at all, uh, boy. Now it's um, it, it's interesting because just this week I had I had conversations with people that get offended by the word dementia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess if you don't talk about it, don't hear about it, it doesn't exist. I don't know. But, uh-huh. Uh That that doesn't bother me at all. Now. To some people, it bothers them a lot because I don't know mm-hmm. if it reminds them that we still have this disease or whatever. But dementia friendly, uh, that doesn't that doesn't um, bother me at all because we have handicap friendly, we have handicapped mm-hmm. parking places, we have you know we have so many so many different handicapped things that I'm sure I'm sure somebody that is handicapped isn't offended by. A handicapped parking space at a shopping mall. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just yep. it's just a convenient thing. So you know, it's 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 only terminology. It doesn't it doesn't matter to me. But I don't want people to to get the wording of dementia friendly mixed up with what it is and get mm-hmm. turned off by dementia friendly because they don't like the way it sounds or whatever. But like what it what it means or what it represents, mm-hmm. you know, then whatever, whatever word you come up with is fine. Yeah. Well, like with the, um, Alva had said, you know, like with the signs that people used to put in their windows for children, knowing it was a safe house, it was that little dog, um, you know, but it was a safe house to run for if you if you needed help. She noted that, you know, Richard Taylor suggests um, people voluntarily wearing wristbands, identifying a person that has dementia. And I think, I think that has to expand. I think it has to go for their care partner as well because if something happens to them, we need to be able to trigger someone else needs help. Um, 
she had noted when you know Richard Taylor was in the hospital, he asked the doctor to write on his um, kind of whiteboard that he had visited um, his room and um, to write down the notes as the patient should know because you know he couldn't always always remember that he had been to the room, and that was helpful. So little things like that. Um, you had talked about, I think it was, yeah, I think it was you when you went to your neurologist asked about having, you know, arrow signs just out of every every um, office, you know, little um, office room that you go into so that you could find your way out when the visit was over. Um, there's so many different little things that can be done um, from training staff on how to ask a question or how to wait for a response, um, you know, what colors to use, um, decorating for people who are having spatial issues. I mean, it's really kind of endless. Um, and I know that there are so many people that want criteria, you know, to be dementia-friendly and they want it controlled. And, you know, I... I, I kind of fight that, and I know that there's a lot of people that will argue that point with me, but I look at, for example, the memory cafes, and everyone always says, like, well, is there a criteria? And I said, no, I'd just like to talk to you, and I'd like to see what is your vision, why are you interested, you know, tell me about your skill set and the people who um, are on this mission with you or you'd like to see with you and what kind of resources do you have and then from there let's figure out what's the best way to make one happen and by doing that it has allowed so many different types of memory cafes to grow and people don't get frustrated as quickly because it's their passion and it's kind of their baby instead of somebody else's model and I think it meets the individual community models better, um, where if we have this one box fits all model, I think we're going to end up with people in positions that are assigned to be in charge of this that don't necessarily have their heart in it. It's just part of their job. And to me, that that's a big difference in terms of what we'll be able to accomplish um, you know, with that, with that type of model. What do you think about that, Harry? I, I think that's so important. Now, like around here, um, when they when they build a, uh, a development, let's call it that, um, they're starting now to to have like their own little uh, shops inside this development, uh, a gas station, things like that. So so the people within this development don't have to go; they don't have to leave their development. Now, as far as memory cafes, I think every neighborhood should have have a, a memory cafe. Now, I don't. Uh, somebody likes a, a, a neighborhood uh, cafe better than that. You know, that's fine. Whatever you call it is fine. But it's uh, it's not a support group. It's not a support group meeting. And mm-hmm. I think I think anybody with dementia will will fight that because. Um, it's not, in my book, ours were not designed to be a support group meeting. It's just it's just supposed to be a place to go and relax and talk. Mm-hmm. No more, no less. I mean, it, it's not it's not serving any educational purpose except being socializing with mm-hmm. with people and sharing ideas of of your life with your dementia. 
but uh, a lot of people, a lot of people start up a mini cafe and then turn it into a support group, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden it, it's nothing but caregivers that go to it, or care partners, whichever you like, uh, and to me, it kind of it kind of distracts with what my vision of what a mimic cafe should be. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I agree with you. I think it's social first, diagnosis second, and so, anyways, that's how we've set ours up. You know, we initially were going to do, you know, um, like kind of have a resource library, and we just don't pull that out. We pull it out as people need it, um, but it's not. We just the group decided as a whole that's not they can get that information elsewhere um and that they really liked the social piece um and being able to chat with friends and get to know people and the disease comes up but it comes up like natural conversation and talking with friends it's not the primary focus um and it's not the first thing out of everybody's mouth um you know to dis- to discuss the disease it's to discuss how's life going you know, and and that's a big difference. That's a really, really big um, difference. And, and to me, it's sad that um, these social supports like the Memory Cafe or just music and, and dementia are not getting the research behind them that they need because it's not a pill. You know, and and people are kind of poo-pooing it. Yet, if you watch that 60 Minutes episode, um, what came out loud and clear was how important that social piece is for us to stay connected, and how that seems to be fending things off much more so than a medication, and then isolation, and and that's really really important. Um, you know, very, very important piece, um, you know, of the conversation. And I don't know how that gets changed, you know, over time. Uh, you know, maybe some of these researchers, you know, it has to hit their parents first. <laughs> and they'll have to witness the social impact. Um, you know, but that, that kind of ties back into our whole theme of being a mother, you know, um, and being mothering. It's It's that you know, mothers give us that safe place of unconditional love, you know, and support and um, safety and calmness and um, trying to create joy. And I think that's what the what the memory cafes do too, you know, and, and why we don't value that um, connection piece um, just, it, it kind of throws me for a loop. You know, well, maybe maybe cafes are nice. Um, now, like at a senior center, a lot of a lot of cities have senior centers, and that's mm-hmm. where uh, you know seniors go and 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 they're kept active with something. Um, now, my idea of a of a a, a memory cafe, the memory cafe that I want to I want to see before my time is up, is like a giant room. Now, mm-hmm. within this room is people people playing, uh, maybe playing pinochle, playing bingo, uh, sitting around just talking, 
things things of that sort, but nothing is organized. Not, I mean, you don't walk in and say, well, for the next 15 minutes you're going to be playing bingo, then you're going to rotate and play pinochle, then you're going to, you know, you just go in and you do what you want to do. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's just socializing, getting together, and I think the expense of, of having a memory cafe is, is, is minimal. Now, if you can, like, we have words in the church, and mm-hmm. uh, so it's, it's, you know, the, the area is donated, and and what we do is we bring uh, we bring drinks, and of course I always have my coffee with me, and and uh, we just we just sit around and talk about whatever comes up. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be about the match. It could be about anything. Like a lot of times we talk about the uh, what our town was like growing up, mm-hmm. just remembering things of the past, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. And uh, it, it's amazing because everybody remember once you start bringing something up, everybody starts remembering. Oh yeah, I remember that. And then they they add their own stories to it. Now to mm-hmm. me that that I, I think I think we should be uh, be promoting these more. Like I said, every neighborhood, every street corner should have a place to meet. Mhm. Yep. Well, and and they could easily build, um, you know, or have space that is, excuse me, that is shared by all different types of groups, you know. And on, you know, Wednesday from 1 to 3, it's going to be a memory cafe. And maybe from 4 to 6, it's going to be a, a lupus gathering. Or I mean, it doesn't make any difference, but... We have to learn how to care for one another better, and um, and we need we need to realize the importance of having peers around us that understand our situation and the value that that brings to the table, and um, the ability that that gives us to troubleshoot or um, you know our situation or get creative in terms of brainstorming um, different ways or just a place where we can be heard and not fixed, but just understood and accepted and loved, um, and, and where we can share the rest of our life um, with people who, who understand. Maybe, we'll, maybe we're going to have to make some adjustments in, in certain areas and that it's okay. You know, it's, um, it's really important, and we just, you know, we're so siloed. Um, and it would be it would be nice um, if there if there was collaborative space like that um, to be shared because it would be much more economical, you know. And like you said, churches are a perfect spot for that. You know, the assisted livings, um, the schools. There there are so many spots where there is unutilized space. Um, that could be utilized different, you know, or even an evening um, daycare, you know, program for adult daycare. Um, There's lots of buildings that have great space, but it's not being tapped. You know, instead someone's trying to figure out how to make their own building so then it can stay vacant during the day and just be used at night. I mean, it's just, it's very silly to me. Um, uh, that we we so sadly don't work together better um, to be more get, more efficient. I, I do get angry because, um, like our our community here has 
has what they call a, a community building, and it's a, um, uh, I don't want to call it a town hall, but it's an activity room that the community uses. But in order to get that, you have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when you have a mimic cafe, you have no budget. You don't charge people to go there, so so somebody has to pick up that tab. And I tried to explain to them that, uh, you know, why can't the building is empty? I mean, it's mm-hmm. not being used. You know, now they might have a um, they might have a, uh, a government meeting, township meeting, or whatever there every now and then. But but like it's like once a month, and the rest of the month it's, it's vacant. And they say, mm-hmm. well, we have we have to charge you because that building is costing us money. And I'm think to myself, yeah, okay. So so then I think, well, you know, maybe we can get some space at the at the Lions Club. They have their own meetings, maybe fire halls. They have meetings uh with you know rooms. You know, things like that 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 somebody somebody would volunteer to say, Okay, you can you can you can rent or you can have you can use this room for a couple hours a week or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can you can base your memory cafe on that because every every town has a fire hall. Yeah, you know, so I mean that's perfect if you want to if they want to open up the doors and say you can use our hall for free, you know, on certain days. Now, of course, if there's a function going on, you have to work around that. But uh, uh, a lot of people say, well, we. We can't start up a memory cafe because there's no place to to meet. Mm-hmm. Well, that has to change. Yeah, yeah. We have we have to look bigger. Um, we have to look outside ourselves. We have to we we have to ask. You know, people are so afraid um, to ask that you know they might get rejected, and we really should be afraid of not asking. And what will happen if we don't? You know that that's something that really we have to shift. We have to shift that perspective back, um, and and get in control of that because there's and there's so many people who are willing um, to share space and you know and like you said most of these are done you know on on little to no budget at all and and they're growing so it is possible. Um, but it's just not possible for most of us to do it alone. You know, we have to we have to get partners um, in that. Right. We have to find liked-minded people, and we have to make sure that the focus is for the greater good. It's for the people we're serving. That it, you know, we're not doing this to serve ourselves so it looks good on a resume or it sounds good when we're chatting. Um, but we really have to we have to get the right the right people and I think um, that's a massive shift as well in terms of of um, who's behind the, the various movements because there's the grassroots efforts and then there's um, you know then there's the more academic medical models that that get all the grant the grant funds and um, in writing and they don't I, anyways I have not seen um, a really good model where they work together yet um i think fox valley has uh, done a really nice job um 
and they're more of a of a grant um, academic model, but they've really done a nice job um, be, being really heartfelt in terms of, and purposeful of what they're doing. Um, and so they almost feel more grassrootsy than academic to me in terms of how they how they've uh, gone about things. And they're over in in Wisconsin there. But um, let's see here. Um, Elva is just saying thanks for all the suggestions for venues from you um, and Harry. So you're more more than welcome. And she says, you know, public libraries are another great one that have community rooms and they cost money. And again, sometimes, you know, if you meet with the right people, those fees can get waived. You know, it has been known to happen. Um, but you just have to, you have to ask. Um, you gotta, you gotta think out of the out of the box, you know, with that. So, um, if you want to become, if you want to become an advocate, you have to get used to rejection. Uh, yep. Everybody's not going to agree with you, and you can't take it personal. Uh, I always look at it is because they just don't understand what we're going through. Now, the day is yep. going to come when they're going to be forced to understand. But um, that doesn't – if I ask ten people and nine people turn me down but that one person um, supports me, I won. Yep. So, I mean, I can win something and I can have a 10% uh, success rate and I can be successful. Mm-hmm. You have to yep. have that kind of mentality and that kind of thinking that uh, – if somebody turns me down, I'll just ask somebody else. Yep, yep. It's okay. They were, they, And look at it, they weren't your perfect partner. That's all. There's somebody else mm-hmm. out there. You know, mm-hmm. um, don't give up on the dream. Just <laughs> just know that you've checked checked off on, on the list one person who is not right, you know, and look at it that way. Just, just because you know, somebody turns you down doesn't mean it's a bad idea. Exactly, exactly. Yep. Um, I'm going to go back to um, some of my lists here of of lessons mom taught me um, to honor Mother's Day, and maybe some of these will um, resonate with some of our listeners out here, to honor everyone's beliefs, to to realize prestige, money, and objects are just things. They will not make you a better person. That is, not until you realize they can be powerful tools to expand your work for the greater good. And I think sometimes we get so wrapped up with money and titles um, that we forget about the work we're all here to do and that we're capable of doing um, if we, um, you know, if we just embrace it. Um, one of the most powerful things she taught me was about being person-centered, and that's where I created um, Your Memory Chip, which, again, you can get off the website if you register under the free tools buttons. Um, that it just teaches us about, you know, are they safe? Are they happy? Are they pain-free? And that really helped me, again, once again, let go of, of control that I thought I was in, which I learned quickly that I that I wasn't. Um, I talk in the article about you know, wanting her back in this physical world and and wondering how long um, the pain of her loss is going to last. And, you know, I've been through this with my dad. and But I noted, you know, some days my heart aches so bad, I think it's just going to explode or, or maybe my heart will just stop beating altogether. 
And even though I can logically know that my mom is in a much better place, I know she's in heaven with my dad, that happens to be my belief, um, and she's probably dancing and laughing with friends and, and family who have also passed, I still, you know, my heart still longs for the warmth of her being. My body reaches out to touch and embrace her, wanting to feel the calmness that she always gave me. My soul wants her to be in my physical presence, the presence that always grounded me and allowed me to feel strong and confident even when I was weak. My nostrils want to take in one less breath of her essence, and my mind wants to create one more moment of joy with her. Um, So I talk about, yes, today I'll go to the cemetery where I know she is not. Mom's soul is not limited to the small patch of grass next to the headstone. Mom is in the air I breathe. Um, She is in the sunlight that warms me and ignites my growth. Oh, here I go. Um, she, She is the rain that falls, filled with nutrients, washing away the toxins. She is the snow that chills me and brings a brilliant beauty by whitewashing the canvas called Earth. She is the sunset that screams to me to be amazed by our God and the beauty which surrounds me. She is the the moon that calls me to reflect, regenerate, and give gratitude for the life I am blessed to live. Um, you know, I just think it's so important to be grateful and um, to know you're not alone. Even when you feel this loss, and you can hear it in my voice, and it hurts. But it's okay to hurt because if you hurt that bad, you had great love, and that's a gift. Because uh, a lot of people don't hurt when someone passes. And, you know, um, you can't have you can't have those highs without your lows. You can't have your ups without your downs. I mean, it's just the way the world works. And, you know, don't be ashamed of the emotions that you have um, and the feelings that you carry. You know, they're yours, and and it's okay. And some people might push you away because they're uncomfortable and don't want to deal with it. But that's their problem. Don't make it yours. You know, be authentic to yourself i think that's i really believe that's the best way to um honor your own life honor your 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 mother's life or whoever you know in your world that you're close to is um to be truthful and to be honest and and to communicate your feelings so many times we we hide we hide our feelings and we don't tell somebody we love them or we appreciate them. And then all of a sudden, one day it's too late. You know, so don't don't let it be too late. Um, you know, be, and it doesn't have to be Mother's Day, you know, to honor your mother or someone who has been uh, like a mother to you um, or a friend or a lover or a child or it doesn't make any difference. Um don't waste those seconds. I, I think dementia teaches us that, um, you know, it, life is too precious and we never know what's going to happen. Um, you know, we just we just don't know. 
Anything you'd like to add at all, Harry? Yeah, that that was beautiful, uh, Laurie. I I think I changed my mind. When I grow up, I want to be a mom. <laughs> I've, I've learned so much today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're such a smarty aleck. <laughs> <laughs> follow-up to that piece, and it was really about the happy song. And uh, I don't know if you've heard the happy song with, uh, what um, I'm trying to think of his name, who wrote it. Um, gosh, it's been all over the radio. What's his name? Um, Farrell Williams. And it's just really an upbeat song, and it was it was one that our whole family, people were sending it to everybody in our family, you know, about three weeks before my mom died and we didn't all know that we were getting this song from people and and then um you know my mom um actually came to me in a dream and the song was playing really really loud um but the lyrics that stood out was you know what clap clap if you know what makes you happy and i and i think that's a really strong message to all of us is what makes you happy do you really know what happiness is to you? And and uh, I don't think we consciously think about that. And you can't really create that in your life if you don't know what truly warms your soul and um, gives you that peace and 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 makes you happy. So um, you know, go go to the blog and, and listen to uh, to the happy song and. See what you think, you know, make a comment and resonate, you know, with yourself. Um, what makes you happy? And what do others do that make you happy? And and tell them, you know, be grateful. Be grateful for those moments. So, well, as usual, two hours has flown by. I just, I cannot believe it, you know. Yippity yap with no schedule and no no real script. We just kind of <laughs> go out here and do our thing. And Harry, I can't thank you enough. You always add so much to the conversation and have great insights. Really appreciate it. You know so much. All of your your advocacy um, for dementia is fantastic. If you're not familiar with Harry and you are a member of Facebook, you know, look up uh, Forget Me Nots. It's a, um, a closed group um, on Facebook where you can have really honest discussions and find some great support, um, you know, if you have dementia yourself or if you're someone caring uh, for a person with dementia. Or maybe you just want to learn more about it as a whole. Um, I promise you will uh, through that group. Uh, same with memory people, just a you know, very strong groups, uh, lots of people all around the world communicating at all hours of the day. Um, and so you just don't feel alone. And that's a pretty pretty big piece of the pie to fill. So thank you, Harry. Um, again, reminders, if you want to um, submit um, a moment with mom or some favorite memory of your mother for the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention uh, Foundation, um, again, I've got the the um, email in the chat box. It's contest at alzheimersprevention.org. And don't forget your email and submit a picture if you can. Everyone who submits a story 
will uh, will get a prize as well. And um, again, if you're looking for an Alzheimer's Association anywhere in the world, please uh, please go to the Alzheimer's uh, Disease International. We're going to be having Mark Wartman, the executive director, on um, probably mid-June, the way the schedule is working out. And he's going to give us an update on their conference that they just had the beginning of May and all the neat things rolling out. If you are dealing with Lewy body or frontal temporal lobe or aphasia, make sure that you check out those particular organizations as well. They can really help you um, deal with the specifics of of that disease. Um, you know, that's just a little bit different. And um, again, if you're interested in learning more about becoming dementia-friendly or the Purple Angel Project, uh, please go to alzheimerspeaks.com and click on our um, About page. You go, you'll also find information on the memory cafes there as well. Last, I just want to remind people that we are having, um, next week we're going to have our, our intern Michelle with us and one of her professors, and we're going to talk about students in dementia, why that is so important. Um, and we are also going to have um, Marla um, Kurtz from Canada with us, who is a recreational, therapeutic recreational specialist, and uh, we're going to be talking about engagement and connection. She's doing some some cool things there as well. And then this afternoon, we have our dementia chats, and we would love for you to be part of that. Um, those are free. I will be posting here shortly um, on the blog information about dementia chats. I will also have that, um, that piece um, regarding dementia chats um, on our Facebook page as well. So I think I think that about covers everything. Any last comments, Harry? I was so happy to be here, Laurie, and uh, uh, it's so nice to, to just take time out having you open mic. It's almost like we had a memory cafe meeting. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's kind of a good comparison to it, where we just kind of chat and let it flow. And um, I want to thank, uh, you know, Bob DeMarco and uh, Michelle uh, Desario for uh, calling in today too, and Alva for all her nice comments um, that she uh, she noted here in the chat box as well. Appreciate everyone's participation. And again. Um, Please like this episode. You know, share it with your friends on your your Facebook pages, uh, your LinkedIn groups. If you have a Twitter account, tweet it out there. You just never know who needs to hear this information, and um, uh, you'll be surprised at the connections that are made when we just when we have information like this available to uh, to friends and family and colleagues. Um, how it can change things. I've just been kind of amazed at the process. So um, until next week, uh, we will talk to you then, unless you decide to join us again for Dementia Chats at 3 p.m. Eastern Time today. Talk soon. Bye now. Thanks, Harry. Bye-bye.
Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.